The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Worship God by hearing from His Word. We are in a uh, mini-series on worship. That is uh, what we do when we gather together. A lot of times uh, when we gather together, we kind of just go through the motions. And if we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, uh, then we can just kind of get lost in those uh, motions. And we're discussing from Hebrews 12:28, what is acceptable worship? Because the Lord has called us not only to worship Him, but also to offer up to Him acceptable worship. What is meant by acceptable? Uh, who determines that? Well, obviously God determines that. And God has revealed in His Word how that is to be determined. It's, it's what he says from his word. And we are covering today a more controversial topic, and that is our singing. If you are, are at all familiar with what happened during the 1960s, 1990s roughly in America, uh, you and the, the Christian culture in, in America, you would know that there was difficult times called the worship wars. There was fighting over whether or not we should introduce contemporary singing and what type of music uh, we should have. And there's uh, controversy even today still over that. And also, singing is so important, the music has become so important, that when people say worship, they usually mean just the singing, just the music. So obviously this can be a controversial topic, and this is a very important topic uh, to many people. And what I want to do today is not answer the question, should we sing contemporary songs versus this or that necessarily, or focus on that, or what kind of instrument should we have. Rather, I want to start by asking some more basic questions that I think would, will bring clarity to those other issues. And the questions that we're going to ask and answer are three of them today. The first is, why do we sing? The second is, to whom do we sing? And the third is, what do we sing? So here's the first question. Why do we sing? And I had a, a lady in my, my former ministry in Montana ask this question. She says, why do we sing? And, of course, the first answer I came up with is, well, we're commanded to sing. And pointed to a number of texts, such as Psalm 9:11, saying praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Or Psalm 47, 6, saying praises to God, saying praises, saying praises to our King, saying praises. Four times in that one verse we are commanded to sing. But her question is actually more fundamental. Maybe it's some the same question you have. She knew we're commanded to sing. Yeah, we sing because we're commanded. But why that command to sing? Why do we sing? Uh, maybe another way of putting it is, why was singing created to begin with? And the answer is, that's just the way God has made us in His all-wise design. You know, if you think about it, there's a number of funny, if I may use that term, things about us humans. We sneeze. You ever thought about that? There's this impulse 
for a sudden and violent rush of wind to come out of our nose. I mean, we do it all the time, so it's it, we just take it for granted. But you actually sit there and think about it. Yeah, that is kind of strange. Uh, when we get emotional or, or sad, uh, salty water comes out of our eyeballs. I mean, just think about that for a moment. It's kind of it's, it's God's all wise design, but to us, it's it's a bit uh, it can be a bit peculiar. Uh, when we find something funny, we laugh. There's this impulse to have our, our belly. I don't even know how laughter works. It's just this this rush of air that comes out, and we make this this sound. There's some peculiar things about us humans, and uh, part of that in God's design is to make music when we are happy, when we rejoice. And this is perhaps why Psalm 33.1 says, Praise befits the upright. We sing because God commands it, but because it's also fitting. It's fitting as us who have been declared righteous and who in whom God is working righteousness. It is the way we express joy to a great God who has done great things for us. So we sing because we're commanded to sing. We sing because that's the way we were made. Third, we sing because it's pleasant. Psalm 135.3 says, Sing to His name, for it is pleasant. Uh, This is what brings joy. This is what brings happiness. Uh, This is a pleasant exercise to sing praises to our God. Singing in general, making music in general is pleasant. I think practically everyone would agree with that. But singing sacred music, that is singing about God and His works, are especially pleasant. Because we are focusing on the greatest being ever. We are focusing on the one who has done great things for us. We who are on our way to eternal destruction because of our sin. God sent his son in our place to rescue us from that eternal destruction. And so we are now on our way to eternal bliss and happiness in the presence of God uh, before whom there is fullness of joy, not because of any works that we have done, but because of free gift all at the cost of God's Son. What better thing is there to sing about than these things? And this is the difference between finding pleasure in music, like any unbeliever would, and finding pleasure in God, expressed through music. It's pleasure not in the sound of the song, rather in the God of the song, in sacred music. Another reason uh, we sing, so it's commanded, it's the way we were made, it's pleasant. Fourth, another reason we sing is because it's one of the ways we remember. And the way God made us is so that we can remember lengthy paragraphs that we haven't even been reciting through music by putting them to song. It's one of the ways that God has designed our brains, that, that music unlocks our memory. And I saw this very clearly uh, when I was uh, in seminary and at a church uh, where 
I was put in charge of the nursing home ministry. And what we would do is the afternoon for shut-ins, for those who couldn't, could no longer make it out into a church service, I would, we would go to this, uh, this nursing home. We would basically leave a miniature, lead a miniature service. It was no Lord's Supper or anything like that, just some singing and maybe a short message and prayer and that sort of thing. It didn't last more than 20, 25 minutes. And in the nursing home, there were a lot of Alzheimer's patients or patients that no longer remembered their spouse's name, their children's name, and were severely confused most of the time. But I saw something amazing consistently. We would sing hymns, and these people would just come to life and come back to normalcy and would sing these songs uh, from heart, from memory, that's... Uh, whereas other times are completely confused and forgotten a lot of things, they were automatically able to, to sing these words. Uh, they remembered them. There's something about singing. The Lord has designed us to unlock this. And so singing was able to do something that nothing else was able to do. And it does the same for us in just unlocking our, our memory. And so singing really is a gift from the Lord, and, and it's why we are to sing. Now, something that is uh, more foreign in our current day is singing when sad or distressed. Our contemporary American culture is all about praise songs. And so we are so used to praise songs, singing praises, that we really don't know that there's other types of songs we can sing. However, we see that the psalms, which we all, which were all sung in corporate worship, uh, are filled with expressions of deep sorrow and trouble and calling out to the Lord in anguish. We can consider Psalm 13, which starts out by saying, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall the enemy be exalted over me? Or you can think of Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. You have put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. Can you imagine talking that way to God? Many of us would be afraid to do that. Afraid we'd get struck by lightning. Let alone singing that to God together in corporate worship. See, God in His infinite wisdom gives us songs to sing in light of our sadness, in light of our grief, in light of our mourning. God can handle it. He knows it. And He gives us words for that. You know, the, the American church culture has so emphasized praise songs that sad songs have practically been erased from the repertoire of songs that we sing. But our all-wise God has given us songs to sing to Him that cover the whole range of human emotions of our experiences in 
this life because he knows the trouble we're going to face. He knows the difficulties we face. And singing only praise songs, let me suggest to you, can be quite stifling. You're sad. You're bearing hardship. And yet you're called to sing only praise. That can be stifling. You're, what about expressing those emotions when you're sad and when you're bearing heavy grief? The Lord has given us songs to sing in those times as well. It is prayer and calling out to God put to tunes. But the sad psalms meet us in the valley of darkness. They, they help us to express these sad emotions and questions that arise within us to God. And then many of these psalms walk with us in the darkness, helps us to express them, and it starts to bring us out and lift our face up to God. But I will remember my God. I will remember my God in the land of the living. And so these psalms then become instructive. These songs of the Spirit do not stifle or stamp out our emotions, but rather help us to express them and then gently lead us out of it and help us to direct our thoughts to God, the God of our hope, the God who cares for us, the God who does love us. So in our singing, it is to be instructive to our souls as well. And this starts then to bring us to the next question we have. So we just answer the question, why do we sing? The second question is, to whom do we sing? And the most obvious answer is, of course, God. Making melody in your hearts to the Lord. We are called throughout to sing praises to the Lord. However, God is not the only one whom we are addressing in our singing. I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 and look at verse 19. Ephesians 5.19 Ephesians 5.19 says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now this flows out of what was just stated before. To be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit leads to this fruit of addressing one another. And how are we to address one another? And notice it is to one another. How are we to address one another? But says with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So in our singing, we, are, we all are to not only sing to God but also to one another. It says addressing one another in these ways. The choir is not up front. The choir is in the pews or chairs. They are comfortable though. You have to admit, they are comfortable chairs. There's no stage in a worship service. We all are singers in the choir. And we all sing to one another. Why do we sing to one another? 
Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. A couple of books over to the right. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. This is a parallel verse to Ephesians 5.19, but it brings out a bit more detail. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So here Colossians says that we teach and instruct one another. We admonish one another. And to be literal to the Greek, we teach and admonish one another by psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So Ephesians 5 says we address one another in our singing. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And Colossians 3 says by so doing... This is how we instruct and admonish one another. So our singing to one another in corporate worship is for the purpose of teaching, for admonishing, for instructing one another. So we do take an active role in one another's growth in teaching and admonishing when we sing. Our voices are to be heard because we are fulfilling an active role. We have a command here from Scripture. That we must follow. And it's singing to one another. Instructing one another by psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Our voices are to be heard. And I think a lot of us are say, more afraid of our voices being heard. And we know this when you're just offbeat. And you end up singing a verse or a line of a song. A half second before everybody else. And that's when you're really embarrassed. It's okay. We are to hear one another. Even if we can't make a noise on tune, we still have to make a joyful noise. Uh, and we can also think that the singing is, is about us being moved or inspired by the tune. Rather than addressing our brothers and sisters for their instruction and admonishment and encouragement. You know, and anyone ever talks about uh, the music, they never say, you know what, I, I, I really want to do a better job at instructing and admonishing my brothers in fulfillment of the clear command in Scripture here. Rather, it's, it kind of cramps my style. It doesn't move me. It doesn't inspire me as much. And that's, that's thinking wrongly. Uh, that's, that's not how we are to think about this. We don't come to worship as consumers where it's all about fulfilling our desires or being inspired or entertained. We are not being performed to by those on stage when it comes to corporate worship. Rather, we have an active part fulfilling our call to sing to one another for each other's edification. And there's a couple of implications for this. The first implication is that watching the service online is not going to church. It's only consuming. Uh, you can't fulfill your duty in having an active role in singing to one another and address one another if you're at home by yourself or even with your family. Uh, the reason why we live stream our service is for those who are sick or providentially hindered, not as a common practice. The other implication of this has to do with instruments. Now, some of the worship words have been 
uh, over the use of instruments. You know, should we use drums and electric guitars? And, and you, you have all this, these word statements where somebody says, well, this is the holy instrument, and these instruments are the devil, and there's really no basis for it. Um, a lot of times these discussions end up being self-centered based on someone's preference. And if you don't let me have my will, then you're a legalist. You know, legalism is if you restrict me from doing what I want. Well, all of that needs to be thrown out the window. And it's just, it's really simple. If we are commanded to sing to one another, then we have to be able to hear one another. And so we don't have loud instruments, not because we think, well, this instrument's from the devil and this isn't, but simply because instruments are to be just that. Instruments. Instruments in helping us to sing to one another. And they can't drown out our voices. They have to rather help our voices in singing to one another. So in fulfillment of this command, we use instruments that don't drown us out, but help us to sing to one another. And that's why uh, we have the instruments that we have. That's why we have limited instruments. We are trying to we are not trying to put on a performance to entertain or please a crowd. That's fine in other spheres of of this of this world where you go to a concert or you go to a symphony or something like that. That's fine. But we have an explicit command to be participants, to use our voices to address one another for each other's edification. And so instruments simply help us in that rather than drown out our voices. Now this brings us to uh, a third question regarding singing in public worship. And that is, what do we sing? What do we sing? And I want to draw your attention to Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19 once again. Because both give us a command as to what we are to sing. And what we are to sing is psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So we have an explicit New Testament command. Again, we're looking at the New Testament here, not the Old Testament. But an explicit New Testament command to sing psalms hymns, and spiritual songs. So let's ask the question, what are these? First, psalms is self-explanatory. It's the Psalter from the Old Testament, which was given to God's people as their songbook. Uh, now today we, we tend to think very individualistically, uh, going to them to give us personal comfort in times of personal sorrow, which is completely legitimate, and it's a purpose of those psalms. The other purpose of the Psalms is not the only purpose, but the other purpose that we could tend to neglect is that these Psalms are written for the people of God to be their songbook in public worship. That's why many of them start out with a subscript that says to the choir master or a maskal, which is a liturgical term in worship. And we see here in our verse and verses, Colossians 3.16 and 5.19, uh, that the Psalms are still to be the songbook for God's people. We have an explicit New Testament command to sing the Psalms. This is not optional. This is a command from God's inspired and infallible word. God did not make a mistake in writing this. Now, I, I think there's two main reasons uh, that we would be tempted to, to not keep this. 
think first is this. Uh, we think because it's Old Testament, it's not relevant. I mean, it's old. It's not new. Old is bad. Only new is good. Old is irrelevant. But it's, you may remember when we looked at Hebrews 2.12 in this uh, series that we're going through, uh, the Hebrew writer is quoting Psalm 22.22, where it says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And the Hebrew author said authoritatively, because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that that's Christ speaking. Those are Christ's words. We actually see that quite a bit in Scripture, saying Jesus said this and quoting the Old Testament Psalter. So that is so the Old Testament Psalter is the words of Christ. And we even see that in the, that, that whole psalm in Psalm 22, just to give an example. Uh, it starts out with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, who said that? Uh, and then later on in that same psalm, They have pierced my hands and my feet. I wonder who would be saying that. It's obviously our Lord. The Psalms are the spirit of Christ speaking through the human writer about his sufferings and subsequent glories. And that's still relevant for us today. Talking about Christ's sufferings and glories, even the words of Christ. In fact, Colossians 3.16 says that as we are filled with the, richly with the word of Christ, we then sing this to one another. Well, we have the Holy Spirit in the inspired Scripture saying the words of Christ are in the Psalms. And so that's why we have a command immediately after that as we're filled with the, real, with the Word of Christ to sing Psalms. I think we have a tendency to want to talk about our experiences and express ourselves, which, of course, because of the common sufferings that we share in union with Christ, that that is true. Uh, those who hate Christ will hate us. The, the, the sufferings that we go through, uh, that Christ went through, are sufferings that we will go through in this life as well. But the focus is not on our experience and our sufferings. The focus is on Christ's experience and Christ's suffering and His subsequent glories. And so we do instruct one another as we sing to one another, these sufferings and glories of Christ. I think a second reason uh, there's a tendency that we would not want to sing the Psalms is because, let's just be honest, it's new and difficult. It's, it's awkward. It's hard to learn new songs. Uh, I prefer to, for things to be easy and comfortable, not hard and uncomfortable. But if we have an explicit New Testament command from God to do this, uh, we must be doing this. And I mentioned in Sunday school, I want to express appreciation for those uh, leading our music. I know they're, they're doing work on, on helping us to sing more psalms, and I'm really looking forward to that. And you know, They have a busy life, a busy schedule, and so um, really appreciate the work that they put in with regards to that. And Paul goes on to say that we are to sing hymns. Now, we have to understand what Paul meant when he said hymns in the first century. Okay, he's not thinking about our 18th century hymns by Isaac Watts and uh, the Wesleyans. Uh, 
rather what he's thinking about is a specific kind of psalm. Because hymns refers specifically to psalms that are songs of praise. So the, the Greek word hymnos is used uh, in the Bible to refer to the psalms. A specific kind of psalm. A, a psalm of praise. Uh, again, I think in our day we think there's only praise songs. But there's different types of psalms. There's different types of songs. And the way that the scripture uses hymnos uh, is not 18th century hymns by, again, a Horatius Bonner or Isaac Watts or the Wesleyans, but rather specifically for a certain type of psalm, a song of praise. So in Matthew 26 and in Mark 14, it says that the disciples sung a hymnos after the uh, after the Last Supper, uh, during the Passover. It was the last Passover, and that was the transition uh, to the Lord's Supper, but they were celebrating the Passover. And uh, it says afterwards they sung a hymnos. And that's a very common practice uh, for the Jews back then. And when they sung a hymnos, what that referred to was the Hillel Psalms. Hillel is the Hebrew word for praise. Uh, hallelujah, to praise the Lord. And that would be Psalms 113 through 118 in the Psalter. So when they sung that, they were singing a specific type of psalm. And so when Paul tells us to sing that, he's, he's not saying, uh, he's not thinking of John Newton or Isaac Watts from the 18th century. I'm not saying that we don't sing that, okay? I'm not saying he's, he's forbidding that. I'm just saying that's not what Paul had in mind, okay? That's not what hymnos refers to in the Word of God. When Paul's saying it there. And then Paul says that we are to sing spiritual songs. Now, we hear the word spiritual today, and we think of someone who's very religious, someone who's just not uh, just all a naturalist, but someone who, who's in touch with spirituality or something like that. However, in Ephesians 1, when Paul says that we have received every spiritual blessing in Christ, Spiritual refers to the things given to us by the Holy Spirit in Christ. And so spiritual songs, and really literally can be translated as of the Spirit, a capital S, spiritual. So when Paul says spiritual songs, he's referring to songs of the Holy Spirit. And we know with 100% certainty that songs of the Spirit come from the Psalter. Now, can God use spirit-filled people to write songs? Of course he can. But those are fallible. The, 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 the words in the Psalter are infallible. Now, I'm not convinced of, or nor am I, or, nor am I suggesting exclusive psalmody, like singing only the psalms. But I think we need to be thoroughly convinced that we should be singing the psalms. We have an explicit New Testament command for that. And they are songs that come from the Holy Spirit. They are the words of Christ himself in the Psalms. And so we instruct one another by singing of Christ's sufferings and glories. And the sufferings we share by virtue of being united to him. Now, some will point out uh, the many commands in the Psalms to sing to the Lord a 
new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. Uh, several psalms uh, command us to do that. Uh, and new song gets interpreted or understood as something we have not yet sung. Um, something that has not yet been written. Something that we have not heard before. Something that is not old, but something that's new. Like a, not a hymn, not an old traditional hymn, but a contemporary song. So this is used um, as proof that we should sing contemporary songs. Uh, however, new song needs to be understood within the storyline of the Bible and not within our lifetime. Uh, the focus is on redemption and not on the individual, not on us, but on redemption in Christ. So in the Bible, it's new relative to redemptive history and not new relative to whether or not you have personally heard it or sung it before. And we get hints of this when new song is placed in the context of God working salvation. So Psalm 96, 1 through 2 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. So there, sing to the Lord a new song is to tell of His salvation. It is focused on salvation. Psalm 98 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For He has done marvelous things. What marvelous things? His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation. And it goes on to say, the Lord has made known His salvation. In the context of singing a new song, the focus is on salvation. In Psalm 40, David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. He saved me from the pit of destruction. It's talking about salvation here. Out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure, He put a new song in my mouth. Oh, in light of being saved from the pit of destruction, He put a new song in my mouth. So a new song in His mouth stems from being saved. We also see this in the book of Revelation. Revelation 4, heaven is singing about God's work of creation. And then you turn the page to Revelation 5, and it says they sing a new song. And what is this new song about? Well, it is about God's work of salvation in Christ. It says they sing to Christ, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then in Revelation 14, there are 144,000. Now, based on the context, this is a figurative number. Okay? This is not literal. This is a figurative number. It's 12 squared. The, the people of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles representing the church brought together in one group. Okay, So it's a figurative number. Revelation uses a lot of figurative numbers. And this 144,000, listen to what it says of them. It says they sing a new song. It says no one can learn that song except the 144,000 
who had been redeemed from the earth. So it said this 144,000 sang a new song, and no one could learn this song except for those who had been redeemed of the earth. Now, this is not a special elite 144,000 among all the people of God. Hey, did you you learn that that new song? I did. Oh, you didn't? Oh, you got excluded. That's too bad. I'm, I'm pretty elite. I'm pretty special. I learned this new song, whereas others didn't. No, it's figurative referring to those who are the redeemed. And it said only the redeemed know this new song. Only they could truly sing the song of salvation and redemption. Only those who have been rescued from the pit of destruction have this new song in their mouth. Singing a new song is consistently tied with God's work of salvation and redemption. And so this is why we sing, and this is what we sing. We sing songs of our salvation. We sing of Christ and redemption in Him. We sing of His sufferings and His glories because those sufferings and glories is what brought us salvation. That Christ would leave heaven and become a man for our sake and for our salvation. To be crucified, to suffer. All that suffering we're reading about in the Psalms is primarily about Christ. The suffering He's facing for our sake. To pull us out of the pit of destruction, to set our feet upon a rock in union with Him. And in His glory, in Him being raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father, He has brought us who deserve to be in that pit of destruction forever. He has brought us to glory, bringing many sons to glory. What better reason Is there to sing? What could possibly motivate us to sing other than Christ's love for us? To willingly lay down His life for us. This has put a new song in our mouth. A song that's not of the old man, but of the new man. From the new birth of a new creation. And so as the redeemed of the Lord, we sing of our Redeemer. We sing of our redemption. We sing to one another and to God. And so may the words of this hymn be true as we, as we sing. I will sing of my Redeemer and His wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross He suffered from the curse to set me free. Sing, O oh sing of my Redeemer. With His blood He purchased me. On the cross He sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in Heaven, we are so grateful for the work of redemption and that whatever happens in this life, we know that we are the redeemed and we always have this song to sing. So we pray that we would sing with our hearts. We we would sing uh, with our lips to one another and to you for the edification of the saints and for the glory of your name. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.